about uh, eight years into this whole parenting journey. My oldest child is eight years old. We've got three kids, age eight, six, and two. And uh, my wife and I have talked a lot about parenting. You know, it's a big part of our life right now. And, uh, you know, what we've decided is really the most important aspect for us as parents, the most important aspect of parenting is, is laying a foundation so that our kids can grow up and know the goodness of God that they can grow up and know and believe that not only is there a God, but he is a God who is supremely kind and supremely good and supremely loving. And that is like our main force in parenting is for our kids to know that and understand that. And so, you know, we've got a variety of things that we do to try to help our kids grow in this understanding. Um, you know, in the morning around breakfast, we try, I mean, it's kind of hard with an eight, six, and two-year-old, but we do the best we can where we try to just open the Word together, and we'll read just a few verses, or we'll read a story of Jesus, or something, you know, and usually there's food that gets thrown, or things that happen, and we sometimes don't make it through the conversation, but we try to have that around breakfast, you know, at night, when we put our kids to bed, we always pray with them, and I always ask them if they have prayer requests, and, and I try to invite them into praying as well. We're trying to model for them, like, hey, you can pray anytime, anywhere, anytime something's going on in your life, you can talk to God about it. So we're constantly just like trying to lay this foundation for them so they can grow up and know the goodness of God. But, you know, sometimes I will invite them to pray. And at different points for each one of them at varying ages, I'll ask them if they wanna pray. And uh, sometimes the response we'll, they'll get is just like, no, I don't, I don't really know how. I, you know, I, I don't know how to talk to God. I don't know how to, how do you talk to this God that I can't see, that I can't touch? It's like such a difficult concept, you know, to grab onto, especially for a young child that's growing up. And so sometimes what we'll do, my wife and I will we'll say, okay, I'll tell you what, I'll pray and you just repeat after me. I'll kind of model it for them. And so I'll say a sentence and then they can say it after me. Or we'll teach them the Lord's Prayer. We've memorized that together as a family and we'll say it together, you know. And the heart behind all of this, you know, we go through all of these things to try to help our kids learn how to connect to God. The heart of this is not just trying to teach them some of the practicalities of, the, of religion. No, we want them to understand the power that comes when you have intimacy with your Creator. You know, ultimately what we want for our kids is that they would know God, like know him and know that he is good. But we want them to know his character and how much he loves them and how much he loves to hear from them. All of this is built around intimacy with God because without this relationship, without this understanding of God's character, if all we've done is teach them how to say some words then all we've given them are the practicalities of religion. And the reality is, is that the practicalities of religion without personal intimacy with God always lacks any real power. And you know, we've all experienced this. This is not just true for kids, right? It's true for us as well. That many of us have been taught the practicalities of religion. And we have given ourselves wholeheartedly and with sincere hearts into some of those practicalities. And so we've been told like, hey, if you wanna be a good follower of Jesus, you go to church on Sundays. And so we come to church and we've been told that, hey, if you wanna be a follower of Jesus, well, then you need to pray. So we try praying, we try to be in the Bible, we try to do all the stuff with good hearts because this is what we've been told it looks like to connect with God. But what we're longing for is not just practical practices, but we're longing for the power that comes from connecting with our Father. But isn't it true that sometimes we will press into those practicalities 
But in the end, it feels like some of the promises of Jesus feel like, at best, kind of a distant hope. And at worst, sometimes they feel like wishful thinking. You ever had one of those moments where you, you hear a preacher say something or you're in the word of God or you hear a Christian talking about something and, and they'll quote Jesus like in John chapter 10, verse 10, where Jesus says, hey, I came that you may have life and have it to the full. And then we go, well, then if that's true, Jesus, then why, why does my life still sometimes feel so empty? Or we read this phrase that Paul uses in Philippians chapter four, verse seven, where he says, hey, by everything, bring requests by petition to God because what he'll do is he'll give you a peace that transcends all human understanding. And we go, yeah, that sounds amazing. I want that kind of peace. But why is it that I'm still so anxious? Why is it that I'm still fraught with worry and peace it seems to be elusive? Or we hear Jesus say in John chapter 15, he says, listen, I'm telling you all this so that my joy will be in you and your joy will be made complete. And we go, yeah, the complete joy of Jesus. I need that in my life. But then there's these moments where we feel this tension and we go, well, why is it, if that's true, that I still feel the weight of depression? I don't feel joy the way that Jesus seems to promise it. Have you ever been there? where you've done the practicalities of religion, but the power of intimacy with Jesus still seems to be out of your reach. You know, I think one of the ways we experience this the most is that we read, we read in the Bible where, where people, uh, the Apostle Paul, Jesus says this, where he tells us that God does not show favoritism. And Jesus says that, you know, if anyone asks, then God will give you of his spirit. And yet sometimes, isn't it true that we come into church or we talk with other believers and we hear them talk about their experience with God, and we go, man, why is it that everyone else seems to be able to connect with God in a special way, but it's so hard for me? Why is it that so-and-so, this person can get there, but I can't seem quite able to get there? What is going on there? Why is it that when we pour ourselves into the practicalities, we still sometimes miss out on the power? You know, I believe that Jesus speaks directly into this reality because he knew he knew we would experience this. And so he spoke into it so clearly right as he was beginning to start his ministry. And this is what we're gonna jump into in Luke chapter four, that Jesus is about to start his ministry. He's in his hometown of Nazareth and he's gone into the synagogue on the day of worship and somebody hands him a scroll and he stands up to read it and he's about to begin everything he's gonna do. And this is what he says. Luke chapter four, starting in verse 18, look with me. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news for the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant and he sat down and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And so Jesus, getting ready to begin his earthly ministry, he goes to his hometown and he opens up the book of Isaiah and he reads these passages and he says, today this is fulfilled. And what I love is that what Jesus was doing is he's kind of laying out the framework for what his earthly ministry is going to look like. He says, listen, I, I, I've come to preach good news to the poor and recovery of sight to the blind and freedom for prisoners and set the oppressed free. And he says, today, this is fulfilled. And it's kind of amazing, you know, when you read this and then you start reading through Jesus' ministry through the gospels and you find all these places where he actually does some of these things. 
Two of them in particular, you know, he said, I came to proclaim good news to the poor. And what you find all through the gospel is that Jesus repeatedly places himself around those who are marginalized by society, those who would be considered the poorest of the poor. That is where Jesus gravitates. And you go, oh, look, he's doing what he said he was going to do. You find these other stories all throughout the gospels where Jesus encounters people who are physically blind and they cannot see and they cry out to him. And time and again, whenever a blind person comes to Jesus, what does he do? He says, hey, I'm gonna help you see. And he does this in a variety of ways where he restores their physical sight to help them see. And so you see him doing some of these things, but then you kind of go, but, but what about the other two things? You know, Jesus said, I came to set the prisoners free and I came to free the oppressed. And it's not like when you follow Jesus' ministries, you don't see Jesus staging a bunch of jailbreaks like helping prisoners get out of prison. Although he had a cousin that wished he would have done that. His cousin John the Baptist got put in prison and he stayed there. So Jesus didn't break him out of jail. You also don't see Jesus ending the most, the most prolific form of oppression of his day, which was that that was carried out by the Roman Empire. All of his fellow Jewish people would have thought that he would have come to end the oppression of the Roman Empire and yet he did not do that directly. So what is Jesus talking about when he says, I came to free the prisoner and to set the oppressed free? You know, I believe that Jesus was not just setting off his earthly ministry with this passage. No, he was kicking off everything that would be carried out in his name from that day all the way up until the present. And that what he proclaimed that day about freedom for prisoners and freedom for the oppressed is good news to all of humanity. It is good news to all of us, whether we know it or not. You see, so often the thing that keeps us from experiencing the power of intimacy with God is that we are the prisoners and we are the oppressed. And I know that might sound kind of crazy. Some of you are sitting here and you're going, hey, does this guy not know where he lives? Does he not know like he lives in the West, in the United States, he's free. How could he, how is he oppressed? How are we oppressed? We know the types of oppression, physical oppression, horrendous oppression that takes place all around the globe. But I believe what Jesus is talking about here is not just physical oppression, but he's speaking of spiritual imprisonment and spiritual oppression. And it may seem far-fetched to say that Jesus was speaking to us as spiritual prisoners or the spiritually oppressed, but I'm gonna walk through this and I think that you're gonna see that it makes so much sense that Jesus was speaking to us and to all of humanity, whether you were a follower of Jesus or whether you are brand new to church, what Jesus is gonna say is, hey, I have the keys to free you from all spiritual imprisonment and all spiritual oppression. So let's look at both of these, prisoners and the oppressed. You know, they're both very different. Prisoners are held because of their own actions or their choices. In other words, they've found themselves locked up as the result of something they have done or something they have carried out. But the oppressed are a little different. Those who are oppressed, they are oppressed, they are restricted, not because of something they have done, but because of the actions or the injustice of somebody else against them. And all of us find ourselves in both of these positions at different points in our lives. So let's look at the prisoners. What does it mean for us to be spiritually imprisoned? You know, the reality is that many of us, all of us at some point or other, and some of us currently, are in a prison because we are in the middle of a present or unrepentant or unremorseful sin in our lives. Now, you know, I know sin is not popular to talk about. I know sometimes it's hard to understand what sin is, 
but it's just the reality. You know, I talked about this a couple weeks ago. I'm not gonna go super deep dive theologically, unpack all that sin is, but I'll just reference what I said two weeks ago. That, you know, you were created in the image of God Almighty. He created you in his image. And he intended you to bear all the beauty and the goodness and the kindness, all that he has, he put within us to reflect. Sin is anything that acts as a blemish upon that image of God within us. It distorts the image of God within us. And that's why it is sin. That's why it is bad. But sin doesn't just distort the image of God within us. No, it also distorts our image of who God is. It distorts our perception of him. It come, acts as kind of a barrier of us being able to push fully into intimacy with him because of you know, ill-conceived notions of who he is or what he's like. You know, we see this so clearly in human relationships. I think sometimes it's hard for us to understand how sin comes between us and God. But man, we know it when it happens between two people. You know, before I was a pastor, I was a marriage counselor and uh, I worked with a lot of couples and I saw this, this thing that happened when any form of secrecy would start to slip into the marriage between spouses. I saw it in big things and I saw it in little things. I remember seeing it, you know, there's this one couple that uh, she had kind of a, an unhealthy habit of, of buying stuff that they didn't need. I mean, really unhealthy and he would talk to her about it and say, hey, we can't spend that money. We don't have space for this stuff. You've got to get this under control until eventually it kind of drove her into secrecy where she just started doing like secret spending. Like she would spend money on account that he couldn't see and she would buy things and then she'd have to figure out she would literally hide things in the trunk of her car so that he could not find them or see them. And what began to happen is that I, there was this wedge that began to come between them or they sat in my office and he could not figure out why they were unable to connect the way that they used to. And it's because she knew there was this thing that she had to keep hidden. And as long as she was keeping that hidden, she could not be fully available to him for fear that he might find out the thing that is hidden. And I saw this all the time in marriages. They'd sit in my office and the husband would have a, a secret addiction to, to pornography or some sexual infidelity in their marriage that his wife didn't know about. And she couldn't figure out why he was so distant. And it's because he had to arrange everything just right to keep that area of his life tucked away so that she could not see it. You see, secrecy and deception sinning against each other, they cause us to go into hiding for fear of what the other would do if they found out. And we all know what that's like in human relationships, right? But this is also how it works in our walk with God, that sin creeps in and we have to partition that off from God and it taints our perception of who he is and it keeps us from pressing into full intimacy with him. And Jesus shows up and he says, hey, I have come so that you no longer have to be imprisoned to your sin, the thing that has been keeping you from spiritual intimacy with the one who created you. I have the keys. I have the keys. And he says, I'm here to free you, not condemn you. I'm here to free you, not to shame you. He says, look what I'm willing to do. I will go on the cross, spread my arms. I will pay the price for your freedom. I will bear the weight of your sin as I die an agonizing death on the cross. Jesus showed up and said, I came for freedom for those who are imprisoned to sinful behaviors and habitual sinful behaviors. This is the gospel that Jesus proclaims. But you know, he didn't just come for freedom from imprisonment. I think sometimes we understand that because a lot of times we have naturally just have guilty consciences as people. 
You know, there's something else that Jesus came to do that sometimes is harder for us to do. He said, no, I came to set the oppressed free. You remember, those who are oppressed, they're not, they're not imprisoned or in bondage because of something they've done. No, they're oppressed because of what somebody else has done, somebody else's unjust action or choice. And I believe this plays itself out in our lives in a variety of ways. All of us have been in prison at some time, but all of us have also experienced oppression. I believe oppression really starts Anytime we experience the brokenness of the world, anytime we experience pain, anytime we experience a wounding where another person causes us pain, and this comes in so many forms, all of us have felt the sting of rejection in some form or other. All of us. Some of you, some of you have felt pain in the form of rejection at young ages where your parent wasn't available for you the way you needed them to be. Or maybe one parent abandoned you completely and the pain of feeling rejected by that parent sunk its way deep into your heart. Sometimes it's not just rejection, sometimes it's betrayal. Sometimes you, know, you trust in someone, you put your hope in a relationship or you put your hope in a figure and then that person just completely lets you down and they betray you and you're left with this painful wound in your heart. I think about the, just the, the pain of everything we had to talk about last week the reality of abuse in our world, whether it's physical abuse or sexual abuse or verbal abuse or spiritual abuse. It's like many of us have experienced abuse and the pain of our heart becomes very raw. For some of us, it's, it's the pain of divorce. For some of us, it's the pain of losing a loved one. And we don't know who to blame. We don't know, you know, it's like, man, is God good? Then why did this happen? Sometimes it's the pain of a, 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 of a painful disease that a person goes through and you watch them suffer and it begins to weigh on us and we just question, that if God is good, how, how can this happen? And there's these wounds that just inflict our souls as we ex experience life in the midst of a broken creation. But you know, it's not just the wounds. The wounds themselves don't actually oppress us. The wounds themselves inflict pain but there is another who seeks to capitalize on the brokenness we experience to oppress us. That we have a very real enemy. You know, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says this. It says, hey, you need to be alert, be on your guard against your enemy, the devil, because he prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. I, I, for a long time in my life, I did not know what to do with that passage. I didn't know what to do with the devil. I didn't know what to do with Satan. I see like this mythical creature that walked around with a pitchfork that was gonna try to eat me like a lion. Like, I, that's so weird. I don't know if I can believe in that. But that is not the picture that, that Jesus paints of us of who the devil is. He does prowl around. But his only weapon against us is not him trying to devour us literally. Jesus in John chapter eight, verse 44, he says, let me describe to you what the devil is like. Every word that comes out of his mouth is a lie. That his native tongue is deception. In fact, Jesus calls him the father of all lies. And this is how he works to oppress us. When we go through brokenness, when we go through pain, when we go through wounding, when we go through disappointment, the enemy is always there to try to oppress us with the weight of his lies. And he will lie to you. He will lie to you. Sometimes his lies come in the form of things that people actually physically say with their mouths. Sometimes his lies come in the things you hear in your head as the result of a pain that you've been through. I'll give you examples of both of these. I think about a good friend of mine that um, she was diagnosed with cancer. She's not a believer, not a follower of Jesus. 
And my wife and I were trying to walk with her through that. And we had another friend that heard about this and she said, you know, well, if she just loved Jesus and trusted Jesus, this kind of thing wouldn't happen. And I remember being like, are you kidding me? Somewhere along the line, someone had told our friend this lie that if you love Jesus, bad things don't happen in your life. And she had spoken that over our friend who was going through hardship. Can you imagine if you don't know Jesus, those of you that are here that don't know Jesus, if somebody says that to you, you're like, oh, if that's what Jesus is like, thank you very much, I'm done. I think about the pain for this friend of ours who believed that, that the moment hardship comes into her life, what's it gonna feel like? She's gonna go, wait, does Jesus not love me? Where's God? I thought he loved me. You see, sometimes the words that people speak will plant seeds of lies in our hearts and the enemy will seek to use that to keep us in oppression, to prevent us from experiencing the power of spiritual intimacy with our Father. But sometimes it's not the words that people physically say. Every one of us knows what the other type of lie feels like. It's that thing you hear in your head. It's that thing that creeps into your mind when you reflect on the places where you've been wounded sometimes when you reflect on the places where you've done the wounding. And the lie that comes in is always either a lie about you or a lie about God. The enemy will come in and you'll hear these lies and somebody will reject you and he'll say, see, I told you, you are unlovable. I told you, you can't trust anyone. They're all gonna reject you. He'll say, I told you, you are a disgrace. I told you, you are shameful. I told you, if you let people in, they're gonna hurt you. Lie, 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 oppression. Or he'll lie to you about God. We've all heard this one too. You know, where we carry shame and guilt over something done to us. And we hear this lie, hey, God could never really love someone like you. Yeah, God's love is good, God's love is big, God's grace is big. Yeah, they say that all the time, but here's the thing, God's grace could never really reach a person as far gone as you. Or we see God in someone else's life and we hear the lie, yeah, but God doesn't really love you as much as he loves. We hear these lies, all of us know what these lies feel like in our hearts. And what the enemy is trying to do is keep us locked up under lock and keys, oppressing us spiritually to prevent us from stepping into our rightful inheritance as sons and daughters of God. And he loves us immensely. But so often we miss out on it because we've been locked up under the weight of oppressive lies. You know, but the enemy is crafty. He doesn't stop there. That oftentimes in the midst of our oppression, in the midst of being lied to, lied to, he will try to convince us to build a prison around ourselves. And he does this by trying to convince us that we can never and should never forgive those who wronged us. You know, the Bible has a whole lot to say about forgiveness. In the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, Lord, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. It is just this part of walking with Jesus. And yet so often as followers of Jesus, when people wrong us, the enemy is there right away to go, you can't forgive them. If you're forgetting them, you're letting them off the hook. Don't forgive them. But you know that forgiveness was not meant, it's not a gift to the offender. But forgiveness is a gift to the offended. Because as long as we hold on to bitterness and rage and grudges and resentment, it's actually just building a prison around you in the very moment that you've already been oppressed. This is what Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter four, verse 26. He says, hey, don't let the sun go down on your anger and give the devil a foothold. 
He says, instead, get rid of bitterness, get rid of rage, get rid of malice. He says, get rid of all that so you don't have to be in prison. And Jesus shows up. Jesus shows up and he says, hey, I came not only to free you from the prison of your sin, but I came to set you free from the oppression of your enemy and the lies that he's tried to tell you about who you are. He says, I have the key. I have the key. I know the good father who loves you immensely and I want you to see him. I have the key to set you free from oppression. So what do we do? How do we respond? Jesus shows up with the keys in his hands. And yet we have been through the practicalities of religion and yet we still are missing out on the power of intimacy with God. What do we do? We turn to Jesus. We turn to him. We turn to him. And I'm just gonna just testify to you that Jesus has this way of showing up just like he promised where two or more are gathered in my name. I will be there. And I believe that Jesus shows up very, very tangibly and in very real ways when we invite him to do so. Now, this happens in a wide variety of ways. It happens in the context of house churches. It happens in the context of Sunday mornings. It happens in people's living rooms as they pray for one another. But we believe there is a deeper level available to us yet still that many of us have not experienced of meeting Jesus face to face so that he can unlock the door to your prison and your oppression. And so this morning, we're launching something new here at Ethos. And this is not the only way to experience this freedom, but it is one of the ways that we think Jesus is begin, gonna begin just releasing freedom all over our church family. In fact, the name of this thing is called Freedom Prayer. And it is a ministry, some of you may have heard of it, some of you may have never heard of it, and that's okay. And we've got a video that I wanna show you real quick that kind of unpacks what it is, also provides some testimonies for people who have, who have experienced it. And then I'll get up here and tell you a little bit more about what this is and why we're diving into it today. Let's watch this video together. You know, I don't know what you're feeling, thinking as you sit there and watch this video, as you hear these testimonies. I know there's probably a full range of kind of ideas, thoughts, feelings going through our heads. Uh, some of you are going, man, I need that. Some of you are feeling really skeptical. You hear some cheesy music on a Christian video and some testimonies and and you're like, yeah, I don't know about that. And um, I think the best thing I could possibly do is just share with you my experience and share with you um, how this has changed my life. Uh, you know, I, I remember I grew up in church and um, thought I knew God, but the reality is I knew a lot of the practicalities of religion. And I can remember I lived in Canada at the time. I'd been married for several years and my wife started going uh, to this prayer ministry at a church that we were good friends with there. And you know, she would come home from this prayer time with, she'd sitting down with two or three sisters in Christ and they would be praying with her and praying for her. And she would come home and like, tell me how she met with Jesus. Now, this was not a part of my paradigm. You don't meet with Jesus. He's not on earth anymore. I don't know what that looks like, feels like, but she would just tell me, Aaron, it's, it's amazing. He, we're actually going back to memories I have from as a kid and I see Jesus there with me. And I'm like, oh, wow, I don't know what to do with that. But I began to see the fruit of it in her life. I began to see the changes that were happening in her life as she experienced encountering Jesus in real ways through conversations and prayer with sisters in Christ. And so she started telling me, Aaron, you've got to come. You've got to come do this. You've got to come do this. And I was like, I don't know. I was really resistant. And here's the thing. The real reason I was resistant was not pure skepticism. Mostly it was fear. You see, I believed that my wife was going and she was finding freedom from oppression, from things that had been done to her. But what I was afraid of is that I, I was gonna go and what Jesus needed to free me from was my prison of sinfulness. 
because I was deeply aware of my own sin. I knew the depths of my selfishness and my critical spirit. I knew the depths of the bitterness that had begun to grab my heart because I was in the middle of trying to sustain a dying church plant. And I was frustrated with God. I was frustrated with my family. I was frustrated with the people in our church. And I knew the depths of brokenness in my heart. And I was scared to death that Jesus would show up. And he would show up ticked off at me. Finally, one day, I I couldn't handle it anymore. I couldn't handle the weight of everything I was carrying. And so I agreed to go. And I just like kind of geared myself up to just come face to face with Jesus with a rod in his hand and a stern look on his face. I was ready for him to discipline me and to set things right. And I'll never forget that day. I'll never forget it for the rest of my life. I walked into this little room and it was me and my wife came with me. It was me and my wife and three others. And we sat down and they said, hey, you know, what's going on? I said, I just know I need to, I, I need to meet with Jesus. And they said, okay, we'll just, we're gonna invite Jesus and we're gonna wait. We're gonna ask him to show up. And they told me that, you know, you just let us know when you sense that the Lord is near. And I remember having this thought of like, how am I gonna know I'm gonna make something up or I'm gonna have a feeling? And I'll never forget the moment that Jesus showed up. I don't know what else to call it except for that he showed up. And it was amazing because God knew, he knew my skeptical heart and he knew that I would later think that I fabricated something. So literally the moment that I felt the presence of Jesus, the people that were praying with me began to kind of laugh with joy and all the time, I'm like, what are you guys laughing at? And they're like, oh, he's here. And I'm like, how did you know? How did you know that's what I was feeling? But what blew me away is that I'm sitting there with my eyes closed praying and I could just see Jesus. But the look on his face was anything but stern. It was anything but angry. The look on his face was just this huge smile. And he looked at me like I was just a friend. And the look on his face just said, Aaron, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad you came. And I'll never forget, he met me and he showed me his face and I could see the love in his eyes. He met me in a place and as my, again, my eyes are closed for all this, but I could see me and Jesus were sitting at the base of a mountain and I love mountains. And it was like, he met me in a place of familiarity and safety. And he did anything but discipline and yell at me. Now, I remember sitting there with him and I asked him what he wanted from me. And for the first time in my life, he allowed me to feel what my father feels when he looks at me. And I'll never forget that moment of sitting there and suddenly it felt like my heart was filling up with God's love for me. You know, Romans 5, 5 says that we have this hope that we cling to because God and his spirit has poured out the love of Jesus into our hearts. And that's what I felt. I felt like my heart was this empty vessel that had been running from God and Jesus was standing there with a pitcher of the love of God just pouring it right into my heart. And I just started weeping. I just started weeping and I remember being so aware of my sinfulness and my selfishness. And I just started saying, how can he love me so much? And that moment has just shaped my walk with Jesus from that point on. That moment changed my marriage. That moment changed me as a parent. That moment changed me as a son and as a brother. That moment changed me as a friend. It began to shape my heart where I began to understand that it wasn't about the practicalities of religion, but it was about the power of intimate connection with my Father God, the Creator. And this is what Jesus invites all of us into. He says, I will be there. I will show up. He says, you can experience the presence and the power of God right now. You can hear from God. You can hear from God. 
You can hear from God. And when you hear from God, you will be changed. This is the promise of 2 Corinthians 3, right? 2 Corinthians 3 says that, that we who with unveiled faces, we reflect on the glory of God. We come without fear, we come into his presence, and we experience his glory, and we are transformed into his likeness. You can experience God's nearness. And so we're launching this thing called Freedom Prayer. Because it's an intentional way for us to begin to create this experience for all of us where God can show up in our lives. Now, we're not just launching a program. We're not launching a ministry necessarily. What we long for is for this just to be the norm. It's a lifestyle of listening for the voice of God and experiencing his gentle nearness. This is what we long for for our church to be a family of believers who have been radically set free from sinful imprisonment and spiritual oppression to run in the power of intimacy with our Father. This is what we long for to where we begin to do it with one another and it just becomes the norm for how we do life, that we're willing to sit with each other and listen. And so here's how it works. Uh, you go to ethoschurch.org slash prayer. It really is this simple. You go to ethoschurch.org slash freedom prayer. And on that website, you'll find the video of testimonies. You'll find frequently asked questions like, hey, what is this? Is it weird? Is it, you know, is this some kind of weird hypnosis thing? No, it's not any of those things. And we'll answer all the questions and kind of tell you what it is. There's also a place where you can click and sign up. And literally all it is, you sign up for a time and you show up and there will be a group of brothers or sisters there, two to three, that will sit with you. And their only role is to help facilitate a conversation between you and your Lord who loves you deeply. And they will just ask the Lord to show up. And you will laugh and you may cry, but you will experience. I have sat in on prayer times with everything from someone who is in the deepest throes of dealing with alcoholism and addiction all the way down to, to a guy who just doesn't believe that God could really love him. And every time, God just shows up. And when he shows up, things change. And so this morning, just a simple invitation for you. If you're sitting here this morning and you're going, man, that's me. I want intimacy with God, but I don't know how to get there. I encourage you, come, let's, let's pray together. Go to ethoschurch.org slash freedom prayer. Sign up for a prayer time and step into it with faith that God will move. You know, if you're not ready to take that step of signing up, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Every week we gather around the body and the blood of Jesus at communion. We take the cup and we take the bread and it's this reminder that Jesus laid everything on the line so that we could know the Father. And if you're experiencing some sort of like, man, why can't I draw close to God? Well, then as you come to communion today, get with two or three others and just ask the Lord, say, Jesus, what is one thing, what is one thing that is preventing me from knowing you more intimately? And see if he speaks. And know that if he gives it to you in this moment, you don't have to keep it. If he convicts you of sin, you don't have to keep it. If he convicts you of unforgiveness, you don't have to keep it. If he makes you aware of bitterness or anxiety or depression, you don't have to keep it. But you can bring it to Jesus. And we're gonna do this together as a church family. It's one of the things that I'm just so excited about as we continue stepping in to this relationship, we will experience the freedom of the Lord in ways that many of us never knew was possible. So our response today is you can sign up for Freedom Prayer over communion, ask the Lord to start speaking to you. We'll have men and women at the Respond banner over here. Uh, if you'd like prayer this morning, we can spend some time praying with you this morning. But there is an invitation into a fuller life that is granted to you by the presence of Jesus. 
if we will just claim the full rights of our inheritance as sons and daughters of God Most High. Let's pray. God, I love you so much. And um, I mean, you know how deeply grateful I am for the moments, not just that one moment, for the moments when you've just showed up and spoken in ways that I didn't know were still possible. For the moments when you used a brother or sister to help me encounter you more personally and intimately. Lord, I'm so grateful for the way I've gotten to watch this happen in other people's lives. I'm grateful for the way I've seen it in my wife's life. I'm grateful for the way I've seen it in my friends' lives. Lord, I'm grateful, Jesus, that you don't make empty promises, but you are a truth teller. And that when you told us that you came to free us as prisoners and to free us from oppression, that you follow through with your word. So Jesus, my my only request this morning is that as we come to your body, as we come to your blood, as we come to the bread and the cup, and we're reminded of the cross, would you speak to us? Lord, for those of us who are longing to be known by you, our Heavenly Father, would you begin to reveal the things that prevent that? Would you begin to show us that we don't have to carry it? Lord, for those of us that are scared of signing up to come and pray with people, God, I just pray that you'd remove the barriers of fear and then replace them with hope and with courage. And God, I pray that this practice of praying with each other and waiting upon your voice would just become the norm for how we function together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Lord, let your spirit come. Pour out your spirit on us this morning and grant us freedom from our enemy. Grant us freedom in the name of Jesus. I love you, Lord. It's in your mighty name that I pray. Amen.